Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Revelation 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 22. I might have to break up this message into two or possibly three messages because the church of Laodicea is a jammed-packed church with a lot going on there. And I think what you see that even though there's very few scriptures devoted to it, but every word has symbolic meaning that points to something else. And so that's why it takes rather a long time to get through a small section like this because everything is so packed. And so our job is to unpack that. And we've come now to the the last church, which is called Laodicea. Just to give you some background on Laodicea, from a prophetic standpoint, it is the last church age, so to speak, or, or era that will dominate the last days. Uh, as we have seen From a historical prophetic standpoint, the seven churches are not only literal churches that happened in Asia Minor at at that particular time in history, but they are in sequential order, in chronological order, if you will, of how the church age will roll out. And so we went from the church of Ephesus that began with the apostles, now we're with the last church, the church of Laodicea. This church which characterizes the church of the last days, I think you and I will understand that we're in the Laodicean period after we get done with the study. There is no doubt in what Jesus says to this church, to what we see going on, not only here in America, but also abroad internationally in the church, that the church is in that mode, if you will. That being the case, what concurrently happens with Laodicea is predicted called the great apostasy, the great falling away in the church. And so we're going to have to address that at the same time we're addressing Laodicea because those two major events are happening, the Laodicean church and the great falling away from doctrine. When I say apostasy, let me define my terms. Apostasy means that you once held right beliefs And then you departed from them. There's a falling away of a departing from something. That's very different than like a cult, so to speak, like like the cult of Mormonism or the cult of Jehovah Witnesses, which meant that they already started out wrong to begin with. They had false teachers. They started out wrong. They were never right to begin with. That's what we term a cult. But when you see apostasy... That means that somebody or even churches or a denomination held previously legitimate beliefs and then have backed off on those and basically have fallen away from that. Now, apostasy can be full-blown. It could be partial. It could be to a certain degree. And yes, the issue about apostasy is this. Christians can apostatize. They can fall away from previously held doctrines. And does it mean they're not saved? No, it does mean they're saved. But they're going to lose all rewards for that apostasy. And there's varying degrees. This is why there are so many warnings in Scripture about false doctrine. 
Now, I know the Calvinists want to say, well, a Christian could never apostatize. Then what do you do with the dozens and dozens and dozens of warnings to Christians to don't do certain things? If they couldn't apostatize, why would the book of Hebrews warn Christians that if you cross this line, you're not coming back from? There's no repentance, according to Hebrews 6, for apostasy. You cross that line, you don't come back. And people don't understand that. This is why you and I are seeing Christians today read books they shouldn't be reading, follow people on TV or whatever podcasts or whatever churches there are, and they follow these people and they're false teachers and they absorb these false teachings. So what we're saying is the apostate sometimes has been saved, but they have fallen away from what they previously held. That's what apostasy means. So we have to get our definitions right in who we're dealing with. Now, it's true that some apostates were not even saved. You're right. So they would characterize they're not even saved. They're in that category. And you have the wheat and the tares. There's no doubt about that. And I was reserved that category. But theologically, you have to have this other category. That a believer leaves or departs from the faith. Now, as you remember, we used to be in the Southern Baptist denomination. We pulled out because of apostasy. Issues that we saw that we didn't like, whether it was gay marriage and other things that we didn't support, and they weren't dealing with a church down in Southern California that was choosing to allow gay marriage and other things, we pulled out for numerous reasons because the reasons were apostasy. That was the reason, and no one was addressing it, so we decided to pull out. But did you know this, that Southern Baptists lead in becoming Mormons? Does that shock you? Because they do. Those who attend the Southern Baptist Church have a high percentage of becoming a Mormon. How is that possible? It's possible because of apostasy. That's why. I know it blows your mind, but that's why Christians are doing all kinds of New Age things, all kinds of practices that are unbiblical, prayer circles, prayer labyrinths. They're doing centering prayer. They're doing uh, the Sosa movement up there in Bethel Redding, and I'll talk more about that. They're apostatizing. And if you and I are not careful, we can get into that same mold. We can't lose our salvation, but we can lose temporal blessings and spiritual rewards in the next life if apostasy should occur with us or even our church. So we're going to have to tackle both aspects, the Laodicean and the apostasy. So to bring you back a little bit to the history and the setting of Laodicea, let me show you a few pictures archaeologically so you kind of have a good understanding of Laodicea. You still go there today, and this is one of the major ruins that you can go to today that show you that this city was extremely wealthy. Let's go to the next one. And you can see the elaborate streets. This is like the main street in Laodicea. And see, you can see how elaborate and how beautiful it was at the time. Very Greco-Roman. A lot of things were going on there. It was the most prosperous city in all of Asia Minor, by the way. It was a banking center. It was a banking capital, and a lot of things went through there money-wise. A lot of money going on there. Well, what made it so prosperous? Well, it had several things that it sold. It had a clothing industry there. And the clothing industry included a black wool that only that the, the sheep were only in that location. And this black wool was sold for a lot of money. It was a luxury item. So they made a lot of money selling the black wool of Laodicea. The other thing that it also had there was an ISAV. And it was called Phrygian ISAV. 
And it had a powder, and you would mix it with water, and you put it on your eyes and put it on other things that ailed you, and uh, they sold this for a lot of money. Well, because of that Phrygian powder, Laodicea became kind of like the Mayo Clinic of Asia Minor. This is where you went if you had ailments because of this Phrygian powder. A lot of doctors moved into that area. A lot of wealthy homes were there because of so much money being made. And then it had kind of a resort aspect to it as well. This was the ruins of the the earliest church that they had there, by the way, interesting enough. One of the things it had was a natural hot spring. So if you like, you had California hot springs up there in the mountains. They had a natural hot spring Uh, about six miles away from the main city. They pumped a lot of that natural hot spring into the city of Laodicea. Well, it became a spa resort, and then they coupled that with the medical. So a lot of people went there for medical. A lot of people actually retired. It was the place to be. And because of that spa resort of having the hot springs there, it drew tons of people. Obviously, they made a lot of money off the resort area. So you're talking a Mayo Clinic, a resort vacation era, uh, major manufacturing of clothing and textiles because of the black wool there. And so it was the wealthiest it could possibly be. Now, here's the caveat. The people in the church were also extremely wealthy. They were very affluent because of all this. A lot of them had jobs in these industries. Okay? And let me note something about this historically. They suffered no persecution whatsoever. None. You'll see in all the other preceding churches a lot of times that Jesus will reference that they, he knows what they're tolerating type of thing, that they're, they're undergoing some persecution. The Philadelphia had to deal with persecution. A lot of them were dealing with persecution. This church is extremely affluent but getting no pushback. None whatsoever. No persecution is coming their way. So they're living high on the hog. They're living off the fat of the land and getting nothing as far as a pushback for their Christianity. So that's kind of the scene. Interesting enough, Sir William Ramsey, the famous archaeologist, this is interesting, found an inscription there in Laodicea, and he found the name Marcus Cestius Philemon. And a lot of archaeologists will say that this is the Philemon who the Apostle Paul was talking to and wrote the the, the letter of Philemon. Uh, Interesting enough, Paul wrote to Laodicea. Um, That letter was not canonized, but he did write to them, to their pastor. And this was years before John sending this message. And they were already seemed to having problems even in Paul's day. And this was probably 30 years before that. So there's a lot there. Okay, so as we unpack this, I think what you'll start seeing, and I'm going to connect it to the modern-day era, because it fits prophetically with a modern-day era, you're going to see a lot of telltale signs, and I have to unpack a lot of it, but we'll take our time, and I think by the time you're done with Laodicea, you'll know full well who we're talking about. The first thing, let's go to the first point, and the first point is to understand the name of it. Laodicea in Greek means people ruling. And this church condition dominates the era from, some people estimate from 1800 to the present day, or some estimate from 1900 to the present day. So within the last 200 years up until today, this is what we're talking about. Now we're not talking history anymore. We're talking contemporary because of the last day's church. Okay. 
Verse 14 says this, to the angel of the church of the, La- of the Laodiceans write. And again, the angel that's referred to is the angel that's over the church of Laodicea who will bring judgment on the Laodicean church if it continues to remain this way. That's why a message is sent to this particular angel. Every church has an angel assigned to them. And that angel is to either protect or execute judgment by removing that, that church's lampstand from its place. If a church doesn't continue to give its light, the lampstand is removed by the angel himself. So that's why the message is going to the angel, and Jesus is filling in the angel of what's going on here. But let me go back to the name, Laodicea, the people ruling. Or the other way you can translate it, judgment of the people, or the people's rights. You catching the drift here? The people's rights. The mentality and the attitude is that the church belonged to the people and it existed for their benefit. It wasn't the church of Jesus Christ who he said he would establish his church in Matthew chapter 16. The church existed for the people, and the people felt by mob rule it belonged to them. It's their church. It was a democratic type of mentality. Pure democratics is mob rule. And even our founding fathers of America did not want democracy. They wanted a constitutional republic. When you hear all these people, these political pundits saying, democracy, democracy, our founding fathers did not want a democracy because it's mob rule. They wanted a constitutional republic. Now, you guys know that, but here's the deal. This idea of a democracy has now entered the church. It is mob rule, and it is ruled by the people in the pews and the pastors. It's not Jesus' church anymore. What do you mean? Explain that. Well, here's how it goes. And this happened in their day, and it's happening in our day. The people dictate to the pastor what they want to hear. That's where it comes from. Now, it's not so much done in a way that they say, Pastor, you must preach this, and you must preach that. It's done in a way that I'm going to vote based on what you say with my feet and my wallet. So if you don't tell me what I want to hear, Pastor, I'll just walk out and find another church down the street that'll tell me what I want to hear. And plenty of people have done that. They go to where they hear what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. So they vote with their feet by removing their attendance and going to the churches to tell them what what they want to do. And then they vote with their wallets. Well, Pastor, if you're going to talk like that, I'm not going to give to this church. I'm going to attend another church and I'm going to give to that church. So what's happening that happened in Laodicea and is happening now is the mob is telling the pastors what to preach by their wallet and their attendance. That's how it is. So what happens to these pastors in these churches? They become Casper milk toast, and they will not tell it like it is because they're afraid to offend anybody because they don't want people leaving and taking their money with them. And that's not how we started as Rock Harbor. We weren't going to play the game of nickels and noses, but that's Laodicea. Laodicea plays the game of nickels and noses. And so the pastor tailors his message based on not offending people so they don't leave and don't take their wallets with them. Guaranteed that's what's happening. Not only in America, it's happening in Kern County. Absolutely. I know full well it's happening. That's Laodicea. It's happening all across America. These, these pastors that get on TV, these televangelists like Joel Olstein has 47,000, is telling people nothing. 
Nothing. He's talking and talking and talking and talking. And yet he says nothing to help people. It's positive motivation, selling books. It's Laodicea. And they're not leaving because they're very wealthy. Now, all that to say, that's in the name. And what is the message they want these pastors to tell them? What did Laodiceans want their pastor to tell them? It's real simple. Pastor, tell me how special I am every time I come on Sunday. Give me a positive, feel-good message and tell me how good of a person I am and the potential I have, Pastor. Just tell me that. Tell me everything's going to be all right. That all the things that we see out in the world that are chaotic, like hurricanes and earthquakes and how corrupt and evil the world is becoming, tell me everything's going to be all right. Tell me just not to worry about that. That we're going to Christianize the world and everyone's going to love Jesus and it's just going to be rainbows and, and unicorns all over the place. Just tell me that, Pastor. Don't tell me doom and gloom. Because that frightens me. I don't want to be in reality, Pastor. Put me and keep me in my unreality. Don't tell me how it is. That scares me too much. Build up my self-esteem, Pastor. And I don't really care if you take any scripture out of context as long as you make me feel on top of the world when I leave. That's Laodicea. That's the rule of the people. They dictate to the pastor what they want him to preach. And any pastor that plays that game and they know they're playing the game feeds into it. And guess what? When you tell people what they want to hear, you instantaneously grow overnight. Instantaneously. It's like a formula almost. It's unbelievable. So with that being said, what's happening right now? Prophecy is being fulfilled in front of your very eyes. How so? Well, this is what Paul told Timothy in his second letter. He said, in the last times, people, the church people, will gather unto themselves teachers having itching ears. The people having itching ears, they want to be told things. Who will turn many from the truth and turn them unto myths and fables. Second Timothy 4, 3 through 4. That's happening right in front of your very eyes. You go up to Bethel in Redding, California with Bill Johnson. That guy's a false teacher, and you're having thousands and thousands of people follow this guy. What, what, what fool, and I'm using the word fool in a biblical sense, what fool would sit there and pretend that gold dust is falling in the sky? What fool would think like that? Christians who are apostatizing, that's who. Oh, you're being so harsh. Really? What person, a Christian, a Bible believer, does it say anywhere in the Scripture that you go to church and gold dust falls? Where'd you get that from? But yet thousands of people, oh, it's a great move. Spirit, we've got to go there and see the gold dust. And then i got to go have a, a, a Sosa a divine intervention to where I probably have a spirit or demon of this and a demon of that. And, and with the Sosa that he practices, he's going to release me of that at the Bill Johnson church. That's crazy. What are you doing? Or like Fuller Seminary pushing enagrams on people. Enagrams? That's Gnostic. That's straight from Babylon. That's kind of on the level of a Zodiac type thing, of learning my personality according to the Zodiac. Well, they're doing, instead of 12, they're doing nine enagrams. And Fuller Theological Seminary is pushing this to churches. And the next year, they're lined up with seven of the 14 enagram teachings are churches teaching enagrams. 
That's pagan. That's Laodicea. Give us what we want, pastor. Don't tell us what we need. So that being said, we have to deal with the great apostasy. Let's unpack that a little bit to understand, because this is going in concert with the Laodicean church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says this, warning that Paul gave to the Thessalonians. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So basically, the context in 2 Thessalonians, some of the believers have been told that the rapture had already happened, they got left behind. So he's kind of straighten that out a little bit. But then he says this, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away or the apostasy comes first. So Paul's already telling the Thessalonians, look, before the rapture happens, and this is not a sign, but he's saying the apostasy has to happen. The church will apostatize. It will go in to fall into false doctrine. He gives another warning to, Tim, to Timothy, and he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some, talking about believers, will depart from the faith. Apostasy. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Of course. Centering prayer that Beth Moore and the rest of them teach is a doctrine of a demon. Contemplative prayer, where I blank out my mind and I go into transcendental meditation, comes from Hinduism. That's doctrines of demons. Prayer circles, witches do that. That's being perpetrated on Christians. It's doctrines of demons happening. And, and right now, even we're studying the book of Revelation, which is all prophecy. Prophecy is under attack. They say that if you believe in the rapture, you believe in the tribulation, that you're some tinfoil hat person. That you're crazy, that you're a date setter, you're this, you're that. It's apostasy. And there's varying degrees of it, obviously. There's full-blown, but then there's some people that have they've apostatized on certain issues. They've apostatized on morality. Think about this as far as that. Think about how many Christians now accept homosexual marriage. Think about how many Christians are now accepting transgenderism. Think about that. All you have to do is go on Facebook and, and see the trolls on there the Christian trolls, who claim to be Christians, and maybe they are, and they're apostatized. And now so many churches now are accepting of this and saying, oh, well, it's okay as long as it's monogamous, as long as there's love there. That's apostasy on the morality level. And then obviously there's apostasy on the theological level. Who in their right mind as a Christian would think that Islam is compatible to us? But yet it is. It's called, but they say it is. And they believe in Chrislam, right? Because down the road down here, Rick Warren believes it. He signed the Yale document and said, We're, we, we serve a similar God. He signed it with 300 evangelicals saying, We serve, we have similarities between Islam and Christianity. That's apostasy. That's apostasy. We don't have anything in common with Islam, Islam is a satanic religion. Just like every other religion is satanic. But yet they're saying, oh, we can get along. We have commonalities. That's ecumenicism. Now, what are the actions of apostasy? We've got to understand this. You have varying degrees, theologically, morally, of Christians departing from what's once held beliefs that they hold true. Now they don't hold on to it. What's, what's the actions from it? What's, what's the actions that stem from it? How does it happen? Well, if you go to the first thing you see and all the warnings, it's deception. And that's what I want to have on there for you, deception. And you see in 1 Timothy 4, 1, 
It says that now the Spirit expressly says in the latter time some will depart from him, giving heed. Now watch it. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It's deception. Deception. Lies, like we're seeing all the fake news that come out, it's all fake. It's not real. And this is how it comes out. You can have a religious experience with Jesus. That's the fake news. And they'll say, you can hear Jesus talk to you. You can actually get him to talk to you. If you do X, Y, and Z, you will get special revelation from Jesus himself. Just blank out your mind. Center a prayer. Do a prayer labyrinth. Do a prayer circle. And guaranteed, Jesus will speak to you. That's what these two-bit carnies are selling to people. And you know what people are doing? Cha-ching. Baby, I'm going for that one. I want to hear Jesus speak to me. And do they hear voices? Absolutely, they hear voices. But it's not the voice of Jesus. It's the voice of demons pretending to be Jesus. You don't have to go any further than the Jesus calling. I've told you this many, many times. That woman who wrote that book had a, an experience with an entity in the forest that, that didn't even claim to be Jesus. She called it Jesus, but it was called the presence. And it enveloped her, and it made her feel so good. And she wrote those things out, what the demons were telling her. That's called auto-dictation. That's found in the occult, and yet Christians love it. Yikes. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says that the way they're going to come toward you is they'll have a form of godliness, but they deny the power, and from such people, turn away. What is this idea of form of godliness? It is a masquerade. They pretend to be Christian. They pretend to be religious. They pretend to be loving and tolerating and all this other stuff. It's fake. Don't look on the outside. They're masquerading. So when you see these joy boys on TV... It's all fake. It's not real. When you have somebody telling you what you want to hear, that should trigger you. One of the things that people are not picking up on, the way it's masqueraded, this form of godliness but denying the power, it's masqueraded by not telling you things. So the way you have to listen today is you have to listen to what the pastor is not saying. And that becomes very difficult sometimes for people. They're not listening for what he's not saying. They're, th- they're just paying attention to what he's saying. But it's masqueraded in what he's not saying. So today, do you think that some of these joy boys on TV are going to talk about Israel? Do you think the joy boys on TV are going to talk about gay marriage? You think they're going to talk about transgenderism? You think they're going to talk about the political climate of what's going on today and how to interpret that scripturally? You think they're going to talk about all these storms that's going on that seem to indicate that, hey, God's trying to get people's attention. Wake up because a bigger storm is coming and you think the hurricanes that you're seeing are scary. You have no idea what's coming. You don't think God's trying to get a message to people through the natural disasters, 8.1 earthquakes? By the way, I, I track earthquakes every week, and you can see them. Jesus said that's one of the signposts is the earthquakes will be like birth pains. There are numerous earthquakes, over 6.0 every week all over the planet, and the birth pains keep getting bigger and bigger. Do you think they're going to talk about the birth pains? Not at all. You think they're going to talk about prophecy? Not at all. You think they're going to talk about the coming of Jesus? No, because they're having too good of a time here. 
When you love this world too much, you don't want Jesus coming back. You don't want him to mess up your little kingdom. But if you're a true believer and you haven't apostatized, you know that this world is going to Hades in a handbasket, and you see it right in front of your very eyes, and you're praying every day, Lord, come back today. Come back today. I can't take any more. But the Laodicean church is not praying that. They're having too good of a time going on vacation, too good of a time with all their wealth, too good a time with all the affluence they have, too good a time with all the power and everything that's going on in their life. Hey, man, I'm having too good of a time. Jesus, just wait till I'm 80 years old, then you can come back. That's their mentality. Let me give you an illustration about this. Let me give one more passage. Second Peter. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Ask yourself, where are the false teachers? Among you. They'll be right in your church. They'll be right in your Bible study, sitting there, Year upon year, not saying a word. And you know what they're doing while they're there? They're building relationships with you so you can be friends with them. And then you know what they do? After they've established a relationship with you, then they're going to spring it on you. And they'll spring it on you, and they're going to test the waters to see if you'll bite and say, yeah, you know, isn't Brandon crazy? Yeah. I guess he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's crazy, man. you know, I don't really believe in what he's saying. Oh, okay. That has happened so many times to our people, I can't even count them. And you know what's happening? I finally figured it out. We have plants. We have plants. And I'm talking to you, if you're a plant in here, we will find you out. We will. Over the last several years, the plants that we have had God has flushed them out. He's revealed them to us. It shouldn't scare you, but you have to know the reality of what's going on. They're in here. They're inside the church. Now, in bigger churches, they can hide a lot better. But in a smaller church, they stay hidden for some time. And then they reveal themselves. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a plant, we won't tolerate you. We just won't. We're going to have no sympathy. If you're here to divide us, we will find you out. And I hate to say that, but that's the reality of things. Because I'm not going to tolerate that false teaching stuff. I'm just not. It's there to destroy and and destroy relationships. But, see, these kind of things happen unknowingly. People are unaware. I'll give you an illustration of what happened this last week with the Packers, by the way. The Packers thought they were going to have a devotional for their football team. Nothing wrong with that, right? Bring in a guy, have a little devotion, charge him up a little bit, give him some spirituality. Okay, no problem. They have a few Christians on their team, quote-unquote, like Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback. So guess who they invite? Rob Bell. Yeah, one of the biggest apostates in the United States. The biggest false teacher in the United States is, it got invited to the Packers to give them a de- their devotion. Rob Bell is a man who does not believe in hell. He believes in gay marriage. He's just a complete apostate. He's what they call a false teacher. The Packers brought in a false teacher. And don't think he didn't have any effect on them. He did. 
And you know what came out as a result of Rob Bell giving his books out to the Packers and, and uh, spilling out his poison and spilling out his venom? You know what happened? They interviewed Aaron Rodgers after the devotion or whatever and said, hey, what did you think about Rob Bell? He goes, oh, it was great, you know, because um, I'd always wondered about hell. And so he made it sound like it was developed by the Puritans and it's kind of an American thing and hell doesn't really exist. So I'm good. I don't believe in hell either. Oh, just off the one talking with this guy telling you it came from the Puritans and it came from America, Western idea of hell. You've dropped the notion of hell. That's apostasy, Aaron Rodgers. And then he went even further and said, well, I'm not even going to call myself a Christian anymore. What? You're not going to call yourself a Christian anymore, Aaron Rodgers? You know what that's called? That's called apostasy. He was a, a false teacher was allowed in there. Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be a Christian. This guy changed his mind, scrambled his brains, for, and made scrambled eggs out of him. He, Aaron Rodgers walks out saying, I don't believe in hell. Everyone's saved, and uh, I'm not even going to call myself a Christian. That's it. That's how fast it can happen. And as a result, he's apostatized. I'd like to tell Aaron Rodgers and obviously Rob Bell, the false teacher, who's not going to believe the word I say, the Bible says 54 times, 31 times in the Old Testament, 23 times in the New Testament, and 15 times out of the mouth of Jesus himself, hell is real and it's eternal. Aaron Rodgers, it's not from the Puritans. It's from the scriptures. Don't you read your Bible? Oh, that's right. You don't. Too busy. Gotcha. No problem. And then you will see another aspect from them, grumbling, grumbling, complaining. You see this in Jude 16. You have deception, then you see complainers and grumblers. Jude 16 says this. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. What will signal to you that they're a problem that they've infiltrated is that they start complaining. They start complaining about the pastor. They start complaining about the church. They say, and here's the deal. The average normal person that's not dysfunctional, that's not messed up, not mentally unstable, the normal person, if they attend a church that they disagree with, they disagree with the pastor, they disagree with the theology, the normal person says, I need to find another church that fits me better. That's normal. And they quietly walk out. They don't make a stink or anything like that. But the grumblers and the complainers, they stay. They stay and give us grief. And they constantly complain, constantly trying to divide. I asked this one lady, and some of you were actually in the class when I said this one time. This was way back in my other church that I was at, and I was teaching a Bible study. And some of you were there, I remember. And I had a lady that continued to dog me constantly, just dog me. And it's a normal occurrence, by the way. You just get these people that are just, they stay on you for a reason. So this lady was twisted up theologically, jacked up. I think she was on the level of a witch, really. And not, not derogatory, like she really was. And, um, and so she, she would come to my Bible study classes. And every time afterwards, she would just disagree with me and, and try to complain and confound me. And she was a very confused individual. I finally realized um, she wasn't mentally unstable. I finally broke down after a while because I just got frustrated enough with her. And I said, hey, you disagree with everything I say. 
I have the scripture to back up what I'm saying. You don't have any scripture to back up what you're saying. But yet you continue to sit in my classes and you, consider, you, can, you continually grumble and gripe and complain constantly to me. If you don't agree with us, why don't you leave? And then it snapped. Because she goes, oh, because I'm here to watch you. Oh, you're a plant. Gotcha. Now you're revealed. You're a plant, aren't you? That's why you were grumbling. That's why you are complaining. You're a plant. She was being used by demonic forces to complain. Oh, yeah, it's real. It's real. The other hallmark is flattery to gain advantage. This is what they will do in, in this type of environment. Flattery to gain advantage. You see this in 2 Peter 2, 3, by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words. The covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Look at that real quick. They're going to say lies to you, but they're going to exploit you by your covetousness. They're going to appeal to you being covetous. Covetous of money, covetous of power, covetous of notoriety, covetous of uh, health and wealth type of thing. So they come in telling you a good story that, hey, man, God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to have this. God wants you to have power. God wants you to have authority over this, that. And, and so they appeal to covetousness. And if it's there, you take the bait. That's how they suck people away and siphon people away. Now, here's another thing. A lot of people, they'll come before you and try to tempt you with spirituality. They'll say, man, you've got to read this book because now, you know, I've had a spiritual experience like I've never had before. And, and, and so, Brandon, you've got to read this book because if you read this book, you get Jesus talking to you and, and you have this experience. And I felt I was floating and I felt gold dust fall on me and my, my teeth were fixed and, and all this other weird stuff going on. And you're like, wow, really? Just by reading this book? Yeah, man, it's unbelievable. You've got to read this book. And what happens is people who don't bite for the money, they don't bite for the power, they don't bite for that, they bite for spirituality. And so these false teachers sell spirituality and closeness to Jesus, but it's fake. It's not real. It's counterfeit. Look, you want to be close to Jesus? Real simple. Obedience. That's it. It's obedience. You want to be close to Jesus? He says, if you love me, obey me. It's real simple. But they're wanting to say, oh, you know, don't worry about that obedience. You can bypass obedience, and you can go to spirituality. And there's shortcuts to Jesus. There's no shortcuts to Jesus for fellowship. The fellowship you want with Jesus is only done through obedience. But they're going to sell shortcuts that Jesus can talk to you, and they'll appeal to your covetousness towards spirituality. And then mockery. You see this in 2 Peter and Jude 17 through 19. 2 Peter 3 through 4 says this, Knowing this, first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Jump to Jude real quick. And Jude virtually says the same thing. Jude 18 says, There, uh, there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their ungodly lusts. Now, if you combine the two, they mock certain theological concepts. The one that Peter talking, Peter's talking about in Second Peter is they're mocking prophecy. 
They're mocking the second coming. They're mocking the rapture. They're mocking everything in the book of Revelation. Do you know some churches don't even teach the book of Revelation? They won't touch Daniel. They won't touch Isaiah. They won't touch Ezekiel. They'll never touch any prophetic book. And when you ask them and press them for it, you get a mocking return. And the mocking return is, well, I don't understand how that even applies to anybody. Or I don't understand. That stuff is so, so gobbledygook, you can't even make heads or tails of what Revelation is saying. Oh, really? It's written in plain, plain fourth-grade level Greek. You should be able to read it. But see, they start mocking us. Anyone that believes in prophecy, and Peter notes this, that in the last days, they're going to mock you for believing in prophecy. Now, wait a second. Who's going to mock me? Who's mocking me? The outside world? Yeah, I expect that. No, no, no. What Peter is saying is the church will mock you. The people inside who have apostatized will mock you. Our own brothers and sisters will mock us? Yes. That's who is going to be the one who stabs you in the back. That's going to be the one that really throws you for a loop. The, the one that you expected to be, have your back doesn't. And so what we're seeing now in the Laodicean period is brothers betraying brother, and they're doing it theologically. And if you believe in a pre-tribulational rapture and you believe in the tribulation and a second coming and a millennial kingdom, you are a nut job. And the funny thing is, you know, we can all agree to disagree, and I disagree with preterism and amillennialism and postmillennialism. I disagree with them, but I'm not going to mock them and say, yeah, we disagree. But they're not content of just saying agree to disagree. They mock. They mock, and that is the sign. And right now, we're being mocked for prophecy. Prophecy is barely even taught anymore. Did you know that? Most churches won't even touch us with a 10-foot pole because they're afraid to be mocked. Huh. Exactly what he said was happening. And then he says, uh, in, in, uh, the next point you're going to see is the denial of doctrine and introducing of heresies. Denial of doctrine and introducing of heresies. Second Peter 2.1 says this, There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. The key word I want you to see in that passage is denial. That heresy comes from denial. They're denying this theological treatise. They deny that Jesus is the only way. I cannot tell you the stats for that is increasing about those who do not believe Jesus is the only way. They believe he's a way, but they believe that other religions have their own paths to God too. And I don't think Jesus left any room for that, right? He was the only way. But yet people are denying that. They deny creation. There's so many Christians now who have absorbed evolution into their theology, and they're called theistic evolutionists. They've bought into the lie. They deny God's creation. They even deny God controlling the weather patterns, for goodness sake. It's like, haven't you ever read Genesis 8? I think it's 22. I'm just going off the top of my head. But God tells Noah, I'm going to, from this point on, control the weather patterns. And it will go until I destroy the world, until I end it. Oh, so everything Al Gore tells me is fake news? Yeah, everything Al Gore. He also said he invented the Internet, too, if you believe that one. But it's fake. Because if I believe God, who am I going to believe, Al Gore or God? Well, it's scientific. No, it's not. It's not scientific. I'm sorry. The evidence is not there. You're running on models that give you the results you want to look for. And so the problem is, am I going to believe God? Or am I going to deny that he controls our weather? They want to deny it. 
Am I going to deny, because this is what they're doing, am I going to deny that God made them male and female? And now you can just call yourself anything you want because I'm going to deny the creator? If God made me a male, then I can call myself a horse, I guess. Right? I want horse rights. And I believe anyone that believes they're a horse should be given that right. And the horses should have the right to marry anything or any horse they want to marry. Really, I mean, you just take it out to its logical conclusion. And, oh, that's crazy. Really, 25 years ago, if I would have told you there's going to be gay marriage and it's going to be legalized, you'd say, oh, man, that's crazy. That's never going to happen. People would never go that way. Yeah, they do. Denial. Denial of the creator. Denial of how he made a male and female. Denial of marriage. You know what I'm talking about. And then what they do is they siphon off people. They cause divisions. That's the last point I think I'm going to make. Second Peter 2, 2 and Jude 19. And he goes, and many will follow their destructive ways. Who are the many? The unbelievers out there? No, 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 no. The ones in the church. The many who follow them are in here. So their job is to flatter, build a relationship, make you covet something that they have, to siphon you off, to pull you away from the herd. Jude says virtually the same thing. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Now, why do I go through this? I know it seems tedious, right? Okay, but I, I thank you for bearing with me. You have to know the tactic because they're going to be your friends. They're going to sit next to you at church. They're going to be at your Bible study, and you're going to know them for a long time. And then all of a sudden, they're going to go just squirrel on you. They're just going squirrel, and you're like, what happened, man? They were in my Bible study. They were doing this. They were doing, And then all of a sudden, they just go nuts. They were always nuts. Do you understand? They were hiding it. And what I mean by that, they were nuts theologically. They were always there. They were hiding until they could see if they could siphon you off and pull you out. Be careful. Stand your ground. Because that will be the hardest stand you have to take. Particularly if it's your family that does it. They will try to pull you off. Okay. So that being the case, there's how apostasy happens. What happened in America? Let me give you some history about Laodicea and this time frame of what happened in America. Some people put that when apostasy started happening in America, somewhere in the early 1800s, and I, I could definitely see that, in, by the 1840s, you had the cults of the Jehovah Witnesses, you had Seventh-day Adventists because of the Millerite movement and all that was going on there. You had the early days of that, but it started happening early on. And then it built into the late 1800s, and then by the 1900s, it was full-blown in America. What happened? Now, we got to explore some history to understand what happened in Laodicea. If you go back into the other preceding churches like Thyatira, you have the formation of the Catholic Church. And we all studied that and we remember that. Okay, what happened then? Well, when the Catholic Church Christianized the entire Mediterranean, they also had the civil government to back them up. So if there was heretics, they immediately put them down by killing them. Pretty simple, but they killed them. Any heretics or anything that went counter to Roman Catholicism, they were just put out and killed. And we don't know how many people were killed. We definitely know the remnant was killed because they were put down for their beliefs, and then any cults that started up were put down. 
Okay? And then Sardis happened. That's the Protestant church. And the Protestant church has the appearance of being alive, but it's dead. Because it did the same thing with the Catholic, as the Catholic Church did. It married the church with the state, and the state became the enforcer for church discipline. So again, if you were in Germany under Luther's regime, and you had a cult going, or you had your own home Bible study going, you were killed. You were put down. If Calvin up there and, and Zwingli up there in Switzerland saw you and you had your own thing, they killed you. You were done. You were absolutely put down. Okay, bad, but there was a good aspect to some of that. What do you mean? Because it kept the cults from popping up. Okay, you following me? So then we move into America. And America is this new country that gives what? Freedom of religion. Oh, And we all celebrate that, right? Freedom of religion. You worship anything you want. But I've read several papers, and I understand the way a constitutional republic that has an infusion of democracy in it works, and you've always probably seen it. There's a cycle, and you know the cycle starts off with freedom. It goes from bondage to freedom, then to bondage, and then to tyranny, right? It's like a cycle. You can see this anytime this pops up, and it's about a 200-year cycle, And what's happening now to America, we're getting put back under bondage, and we're going to move into the next phase, which is tyranny, because everyone's in bondage. Okay. The lesson about a pluralistic society where freedom of religion allows itself, it's our greatest strength, but it's our greatest enemy. Do you see how? Because there's no way to put down a cult If some dude wants to start something up in his basement and get a religion going, there's no one to stop him. If Satanists want to put up statues to be a mat and Satan himself in Oklahoma, there's no one to stop him. There's no one to stop witches' covens. There's no one to stop just flat-out cults like David Koresh or whatever until they finally break the law, right? So what's happened is... The freedom that people enjoy will be used to create the largest amounts of cults and apostasy the church has ever seen. So you see how history is working with what's prophetic in the church. This is why we have so many cults today and so many apostasies, because no one puts them down. The only way you can put them down scripturally is to dismantle those arguments on an argumentation level. But throughout history, it was actually physically put down, if that makes sense. So now you enter into this period, and the course of apostasy has now flourished. Now, it's important, and I'm going to wrap things up. How did this happen? I think we have this on the screen for you and how the course of apostasy happened in America. And I want to show you just briefly, and then we'll wrap things up. Number one, it first started with false teachers or apostates infiltrating denominational seminaries. The first seminary to be infiltrated in America was Union Theological Seminary right in Manhattan. It was a Presbyterian seminary. And the guys in there started getting into German rationalism, which came from the 1800s. 
and it infected them and the leadership of that seminary. It was the first seminary in the United States. I'm not talking about a cult like Mormonism and Jehovah. They already existed. I'm talking about apostasy. It was the first seminary in America to go apostate. And this was late 1800s, early 1900s time period. So then what happens is this. These false teachers or apostates are trained, uh, trained these ministers for their pulpits. Third, the ministers were, who were tainted with false doctrines and apostasy took their corruption to the churches they went to. Fourth, these new ministers taught false doctrines and heresies to their congregation. And fifth, the churches and the congregations became liberal and apostate. You see what happened? The tactic is to get at the headwaters, infect the headwaters, and it will affect the rest of the stream. That's what Satan did. He affected the seminaries who trains the pastors, who are sent out to churches. The churches take these guys, and they're apostates in the pulpit, and the pastor turns the whole church into an apostate church. That's been the pattern in American history, guys. That's been the pattern, and it hasn't stopped. We're watching this even currently right now in the Southern Baptist denomination and seminaries, and we're watching this in the Calvary Chapel denomination and, and their Bible colleges. It's happening right in front of our very eyes. The same tactic hit the headwaters, and it spoils the rest of the river, and that's what's going on here. Now, with that being said, we haven't got to the rest of the passages. You have to understand apostasy before you get into the rest of the text because Jesus is going to expect you and I to understand. Do you understand apostasy? Because what I'm going to say is going to be a warning towards this. It's the church of apostasy. So let me end on this. We are entering a time in church history that you better have your hands on the wheel because I'm going to tell you how they're going to target you. They're not going to target you as an adult. They're going to target your kids. That's what the aim is. That's where Satan is going to go. He's going to go directly towards your kids and your grandkids. 4% of the millennials are born-again evangelicals. I've told you that over and over again. It's the lowest percentage of the biggest generation in American history, and that's not by an accident. They're targeting your kids. I'm begging you. I'm begging you as a pastor, if you're a grandparent, if you're a parent, you better guard your kids because that's who they're going for. Satan already knows he can't get you, but he can get the fresh minds, and he can scramble their minds so bad he, they will not want anything to do with Jesus. They could care less because the attitude of Laodicea is indifference. They really are apathetic. They don't care, which is exactly the millennial mindset. Read about a story where a teacher had a class and she could not motivate the class at all, trying to do her best to get them to do their work and everything. And the kids just sat in the seats just like this, you know, couldn't get them motivated. So she, she got so frustrated one day and she went to the back of the room where the blackboard was, and she wrote in big letters, apathy. She wrote big, big letters in chalk. The kids are sitting there in their, in their chairs. What's she doing? 
And they're looking at the chalkboard. A pat apathy. They couldn't even pronounce it. And the one kid next to him says, apathy. He goes, what's that? And the other kid says, who knows and who cares? That's the attitude of Laodicea. Who knows, who cares? Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.